Good morning. If you have your Bibles, would you grab them now? We'll be in Titus. And as you're turning to Titus chapter 2, verse 15, I'll say two things this morning. Uh, one, I, we want to continue to encourage you to participate in the launch anniversary uh, for Risen Hope. Uh, October 29th is the RSVP date. I think we have a QR code in those um, worship pamphlets that we handed you as you came in <clears throat> on our website all over the place. Please RSVP for that. We want to show our brothers and sisters there um, a great encouraging um, gesture of us being there and being a part of this as they launch out to become an independent church on January 1. So please be a part of that. And second, I'd like to say thank you for all the cards and just the kind gestures that the church has shown to me and to my family uh, this, uh, these, these last couple of weeks. It's been very, very encouraging. Uh, little cards left. Uh, my, I came home one day and my, my lawn was full of signs that said, thank you for shepherding uh, us. And it, it was signed by all the children of the church. And it was super, super encouraging. So thank you for all of that. And that's, this isn't like, a, 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 like a, a slick way to get out of writing thank you notes. I'll do that too. But, but thank you for doing that. All right, so we are in Titus, and we are finishing up chapter 2 today. Our, the verse that we're going to be just hovering over and trying to understand is verse 15. So let me read that, and then we will pray again and ask God for his help. The Word of God says this, Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you today, needy, as always. And at the same time, we know that we have the message of life, the message that, that satisfies every need, and that outside of that, there is no satisfaction to be found, not in the entire universe, only in Christ is a man or a woman or a child satisfied, and when we are satisfied in you, we are satisfied forever. Father, I pray, and we pray together as a church, that you would help us to understand what it means to declare this in a way of rebuke, and in a way of exhortation, and with all authority, and not allowing anyone to disregard us. Help us to understand your word. That's what I'm praying. That's what we're praying this morning. And I pray also that you would help us to be satisfied in Christ this morning. The hope of the gospel. Thank you for this church and how you're moving among us. It is all by your grace. Help me, I pray, Lord, as I preach this I know that I stand unworthy, and so I stand in the worthiness of Christ. Help me to proclaim your word faithfully and true this morning, for the good of your people and for the glory of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to share with you a, a dream that I have had, and that's a scary way to begin a sermon in a conservative church, isn't it? But stay with me. This is a reoccurring dream that I've had, and it's almost a nightmare, but not quite. In this dream, I'm about to speak at some gathering, and this varies. Like what, whatever gathering it is varies, a student group or um, preaching in front of a crowd like this or giving a, some speech somewhere, but I'm, I'm speaking somewhere, usually a church service, 
And I walk right up to the podium and I realize in that moment, like for the first time, that I have nothing to say. Like, I stand here, I get ready to say something, and I have nothing to say. It's, a scare, I have, it's, it's as if I have totally forgotten to prepare a sermon. And I'm staring back at the people the way that they're staring at me. We're just staring at each other and my heart is beating out of my chest and it's an awful feeling. I think it's the same genre of dreams that people have about being in some public place without having the things that you need to have when you're in a public place. <laughs> but this one's specific for preachers. How embarrassing it would be for me to be up here without a message to preach to you. Embarrassing because perhaps I hadn't prepared. But you know what would be worse? Worse than not having a message because I didn't prepare? It would be worse to have nothing to say to you because there's nothing to say. That would be infinitely worse. Meaning, if I, had, if I came to you this morning and I had no message of hope to give to you, no message of redemption, not a word of encouragement as you live your life in this broken world, that would be a nightmare. Thankfully, I do have a message for you this morning, and not just because I have prepared a sermon, though I have done that, but because God is gracious to us, and because God has revealed to himself to us, and because God has saving designs and that those are all revealed in the Word of God. I have something to say. We have something to say. And that is a very good thing. Verse 15 is Paul's wrap-up or summary word for all of chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. With this verse, Paul is essentially assuring Titus that he now has a message to preach. In fact, he has the message. He's been given this message, these things to declare. My hope this morning is twofold. I hope to encourage you in the message itself. Hope that's there. It's a good word for our souls, for our Christian lives. And I also hope to lay the challenge before us to declare these things. Much in the same way that Titus was charged to declare these things. These things are at once good for our souls and important for us to preach and to teach in our church to one another highways and byways, and even to the nations. So we have something to say this morning, and I think that's wonderful, don't you? Not having anything to say would be a nightmare. And listen, friends, most of the world lives in that nightmare. They live as if there's nothing to say, as if there is no Savior, as if there is no hope, as if the grave is final. No absolute truth, but we have a glorious message, and it's a message that is good for our souls, and it is good for the nations. So let's take some time this morning and press into verse 15. There are four imperatives in this passage, four commands, but the main one, I think, is the first phrase, declare these things. The more I studied this this week, the more I, I, I believe that the ESV got it right and how they punctuated it. You know what that semicolon after declare these things? I think that's the main command of the verse. And I think that because of the word declare, the word that's translated declare. It's the same word. It could be translated say or to teach. It's the same word that comes up in verse 1. Two times in this chapter it comes up. In verse 1, teach, that's our word, teach what, accounts with, what accords with sound doctrine. 
And then here, declare these things. So this is, these are bookends to chapter 2. So I think Paul is commanding Titus to say or teach or declare the truth of chapter 2 and to do so in two ways. Declare these things by exhortation and declare these things by rebuke. So this declaration Titus is making is like a good map or your GPS in your car. You know, you turn that on for two reasons, don't you? You pull out a map for two reasons. One, if you're like plotting your way. I don't know Sioux Falls very well, and so if I'm not just going home and coming to church, I usually put the address into my GPS, and that tells me the directions, like where I'm going to go, and you pull out a map to plot your way. That's one way that you do it. You, you want to know the way, and I think that planning the way, that's the exhortation side of this. We preach this message because we want you to know where to go, the road that you should take, and I also turn my GPS on or I pull out that map when I've realized that I have no idea where I am and I need to get back to the path. I need to get back to the right way. And, when, and that's when I've taken a wrong turn. And I think that's the rebuke side of it. This is how Titus is to declare these things. He is to exhort people how to believe and live and he is to rebuke people who have strayed from that. So these things in verse 15 are all the things in that this chapter show us as the way to go forward, the, the right way to believe and the right way to live. And of course, we've been thinking about these things, these things for the last four weeks. These things are the gospel. And you can see that especially in verses 11 through 14, which we read this morning and which Pastor Thomas preached last week. And if you missed that sermon, you ought to go back and take a listen. The hope of Christ the Savior of the world, the one who appeared bringing salvation for all people. Jesus, the one who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. The risen one who's, who's coming, who's, who's appearing is our blessed hope upon which we wait with faith and joy and with endurance. We preach that by way of exhortation. We exhort one another to believe and to hope in Christ alone. We declare these things by way of exhortation. It's a message of grace. I intentionally try to do that every time I preach. I desire to exhort you to hope in Christ. Every sermon. I agree with Spurgeon who said, who said that Christ is like preaching, preaching a sermon without Christ is like trying to make a loaf of bread without flour. No Christ in your sermon, Spurgeon said, go home and don't preach again till you have something to preach about. He was right. We should preach Christ. And can I just exhort you this morning to believe and hope in the gospel. If you're struggling with your sin and struggling with this world, I want to encourage you this morning. We have a Savior. We have a Savior, and His name is Jesus. His work on the cross is enough to overcome whatever past you come from. Whatever sin you've been engaged in, His cross is enough. And His resurrection, it's enough to overcome any grave. It's enough to overcome death. No matter what you're going through this morning, friends, brothers and sisters, we have a blessed hope that one day Christ will appear. These things refer to the gospel. 
And these things refer to all of the content of verses 1 through 10 as well. The practical fruit and this, uh, of, of, of sound doctrine in the life of a Christian and in the life of the church. Older men are to be dignified and self-controlled. Older women are to be reverent in behavior, not drunkards. And intentional about training younger women. Younger women are to love their husbands and their children and live in purity and love the home. And those under authority are to be submissive and show all good faith. All of these things are things that we declare to you by way of exhortation. All of chapter 2 comes together in verse 15. This is the truth which you must cling to. Christ and the hope of the gospel. And how you are to live this out. Practical Christian living. A life which accords with godliness. Declare these things, Titus. By way of exhortation. And so in the church, these are the truths that we are to teach. We have a message. And we pull this map out to plot our way forward, teaching one another that this is the gospel to which we must, we must cling. And these are the ways that we must live that out. This is the message of exhortation, the map for the way forward. But we also turn to these things to call one another back when they have strayed or gone the wrong way. This is, this is also a message of rebuke. We take this map out and declare to a straying brother or sister or to a lost soul, this is the way. Come back to Jesus Christ and live a life that adorns the, the, the doctrine of God, our Savior. When someone teaches something other than the true gospel, when things are added to the hope of Christ, meritorious deeds or good works, we declare these things by way of rebuke. No, it is Christ alone we hope in. When someone is hoping in themselves or in their participation in church or in a religious ceremony or in their goodness, we rebuke with these things. Jesus is the Savior. Hope in Him and in Him alone. He is the one who brings salvation to all people. No work that you could ever do could merit your standing before God, a, a right standing before God. Not a single work that you do. Though you give all of your effort, without Christ, it will come short. Only Christ makes a man or a woman or a child right with God. And when someone lives in a way that is out of step with that truth, out of step with sound doctrine, when somebody lives in such a way that makes the gospel look ugly and not beautiful, we declare these things by way of rebuke. No, brother or sister, this is not the way to live that accords with sound doctrine. You're not being self-controlled or, or dignified or reverent in behavior. You're not treating alcohol rightly. You're engaged in slander. You're not loving your own husband. You're not submitting to the authority over you that's in the workplace. You're not showing all good faith. These are just examples from this chapter. You're not adorning the doctrine of God our Savior. That's a way of doing it with rebuke. Don't you see? This is a message of rebuke. It's exhortation and rebuke. The map does two things. One of them is to show, to show us when we have strayed and how to get back to the right path. Whether the need calls for exhortation or rebuke, the aim is the same. We're saying the same thing. This is the way, as, as the Mandalorians say. Go this way. Exhortation. Or come back to this way, rebuke. Either way, the aim's the same, to show people that this is the path to follow, that Jesus is the one to follow. And following him means adorning the doctrine of God, our Savior. Now note the manner 
Note the manner in which Titus is to declare these things. Declare these things, Paul tells him, with all authority. With all authority. Doesn't that sound a bit heavy-handed? With all authority. I mean, come on, Paul. Don't we want, do we want Titus to be running around telling people what to do? Exercising authority over others? We don't like the word authority very much. I think most of us have a, have a little, or maybe more than a little, we have a, a little anti-authority streak in us. And I think in the West, in this individualistic culture that we have developed, I think we have a cultural anti-authority streak going on. So why did Paul add those three words? Why, why didn't he say something more palatable like, declare these things, Titus, and make sure that you are gentle and kind and humble in the way that you say it? Now, of course, the scriptures do provide those kind of things. Paul does in other passages, right? In 1 Thessalonians 5.14, for one example, Paul says, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient or gentle with them all. And there are other passages like this. So one who takes an impatient or high-handed authoritarian approach in the church ought to, and he claims maybe Titus 2.15, declare with all authority, he needs to be shown the other passages as well. Nevertheless, Paul did say, with all authority. So how are we to understand this? Let's note the scope of this. Titus is to declare these things with all authority. These things. He is to declare these things with all authority. It's not that Titus was free to declare whatever he wanted with all authority. His authority is tethered to the things he is called to declare. Now, just for fun, let me just try to springboard right into our context to help us think about this rightly. I believe that I should teach and preach with all authority. In fact, I intend to preach here with all authority. Does that make you feel uneasy? Does it sound arrogant? Does it sound high-handed? That I honestly, and I honestly do believe that I should preach with all authority. And I am purposely saying it just that bluntly to stoke the uneasy feelings in you and so that I can make a point. I don't think it's arrogant, maybe a, a tiny bit manipulative to say it this way, but just stay with me. Does it strike you as arrogant that I am saying it this way? It would be arrogance. It would be arrogance. If I taught and preached anything I wanted to teach and preach with all authority. If I, if I stood here and preached my opinions or my preferences or my viewpoints, my, my ideas with all authority... That would be rank arrogance. And you should feel an ease with that. And in the, in the end, you should reject that posture as arrogance. I'm just a man. And my ideas and my opinions are just the ideas and opinions of a man. To present those kinds of things with all authority would be arrogance. But it is not presumption or arrogance to teach and preach these things with all authority. In fact... It might be arrogance for me to soften my declaration of these things. It might be arrogance for me to suggest that if, if you think there's another way to God, well, then that's just fine. 
this is what I think, and this is what you think. All viewpoints are equal. They're all equally valid. So you just keep believing what you believe, and I will stand up here and softly and maybe winsomely suggest that my view also is valid. And perhaps, you know, if you have the time, you might consider my thoughts. But if not, okay, that's fine. You're, you're busy. Your ideas are valid too. Friends, if I did that, that would be the height of arrogance. And you know why? Because I'm holding the map. I know the way. I have the word. And this map is written by none other than the creator of heaven and earth. And here it says plainly that Jesus is the savior of the world. That he is our blessed hope. And that this is how we should live in light of that reality. For me not to declare these things with all authority is arrogantly suggesting that there might be another way and perhaps the map maker didn't know what he was doing even though I personally like his maps. Do you see? The all authority is tethered to these things. You are holding the map up, Titus. Go show them the way and do so on all the authority of the word of God. You're not merely presenting ideas in the arena of ideas. If that were the case, you should just simply speak with whatever authority that was appropriate. You might have some authority. If you're a medical doctor, for example, presenting ideas on a new treatment, you might present those ideas based on your training and those studies and all of those kind of things. It's a little bit of authority. But not all authority. This is different. You are not presenting your ideas at all. I'm not preaching and teaching my thoughts and my opinions. I'm holding up the word of God before you and urging you to follow the way. That's not arrogant or presumptuous or bullying. That is right and that is loving. That is humbly submitting to the authority of scriptures and beckoning you to do so as well. So Titus was to declare these things with all authority and I believe we do that as well. This is the right path. Jesus is the true Savior. Titus with delegated authority from the apostle and we with delegated authority from the scriptures declare these things. Now look with me at the final phrase. Let no one disregard you. Final phrase there, verse 15. How is Titus to do that? How, how is he to, to let no one disregard him? How can he prevent people from disregarding him? I think that phrase, let no one disregard you, is a, is a fork with two prongs. One for Titus himself, and one for the church. For Titus, there's a call for him to be persistent and confident in his preaching, and to root that confidence and that persistence in the scriptures. He is not just to, he is not just to set God's word aside because of popular opinion or because of resistance, or because people reject him, or because they don't like his message. He is to keep preaching God's word. Keep preaching. In the words of Paul in another place, preach in season and out of season. This is how you let no one disregard you. I was an associate pastor for five years under a much older senior pastor. This was in Florida. And he would often be ill on Sunday mornings. And when my phone would ring on Saturday night, I knew what was about to happen to my Saturday night. On the other end of the call was a pastor, and I could tell from his voice that he was ill. 
And he was calling to let me know that he wouldn't be able to preach in the morning, and so I was up. I was to preach. And he would always close those calls by saying something like, remember what the Bible says, Mike, be ready in season and out of season. So I'm sure you're ready. I think that's where the dreams come from. Maybe some PTSD (laughs) left over from that. He meant it tongue-in-cheek, of course, because he knew well that the passage in 2 Timothy 4 is meant, it meant something different. I'd like to read that to help us see our point in, in Titus. So in 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, this is what Paul wrote. He says to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itchy ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers who suit their own passions. Who will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. In season and out of season means that there will be times when people will want to hear the word of God. And there will be times when they will not want the word of God anywhere near their ears. There will be times when your preaching will draw people for they will be hungry to hear God's word. They will be eager to follow Jesus. There will be times when preaching is in season. And this is a lovely gift from God and his spirit in the church. I hope we are in season now, and if we are, it is because of God's grace. And there will be times when your preaching will repel people because they will have itchy ears and long for a message that suits their passions, not one that beckons them to the God of the scriptures. There will be times when preaching is decidedly out of season. And the charge Paul made to Timothy in this passage and to Titus in ours is to preach this word in season and out of season. The way Titus would let no one disregard him is to persistently point to God's word and preach it with all the authority of the word. That's one prong of this fork. Keep standing up, Titus, with this map in your hand and beckoning people to follow the way. Let no one disregard you. The other prong of this fork is for the church. When Paul told Titus in a letter that was meant to be read in the churches that he is not to let anyone disregard him, he is also in a secondary way saying to the church, do not disregard him. And again, I think this points to the importance of the Bible in the life of the church. And there's a responsibility on the church itself not to throw that off. There's a responsibility in the church to make preaching in season, as it were. It isn't that they were to regard Titus for Titus's sake. You're not to regard me for my sake. That's not the point. They were not to disregard Titus as he declared these things. So the message to Titus, and I think to all Christians, especially Christian teachers and preachers of God's word, is to be persistent and faithful And unwavering to teach and preach God's word 
And the message to the church is not to throw that off in, in favor of whatever trend or whatever cultural direction or popular message that seems to be most palatable at any given moment. No, this is the way. This is the word. And we must desire to stay on this way. So what do we see from Titus 2.15? We see that Titus was to declare these things with all authority. And sometimes he was to do that with the voice of exhortation. This is the way to follow God. And sometimes he was to do it with the voice of rebuke. Come back, come back to the way. And Titus was to do that with all authority, with his confidence in the word and not in himself. And Titus was not to let anyone disregard him. He was to stand and preach the word, whether that pleased people or whether that offended them. He was to, to stand and say, this is the way. Now, I'd like to make a final point by way of application. And really, this is an extended application from this passage. We have these things to declare. You agree? We have these things to declare. And more than anything else, the world needs to hear this declaration. Your fellow Christians, your fellow churchmen need this message. As do your coworkers and your neighbors and your parents and your children. The nations need to hear these things that we are called to declare. Look back at verse 11. It says, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Friends, your neighbors need that declaration, and they need that a whole lot more than they need to know who you're going to vote for in the next election cycle, or who your favorite team is, or anything else for that matter. Friends, we have the map. We have it. God, by his grace, has seen it so that we would have the map. The world is wandering around looking for the right way. And yet we have it. Do you feel the responsibility of that knowledge this morning? In the same way that Titus was to stand confidently upon the truce and declare them with persistence and authority, so we must. You might be the only one in your workplace that knows the way. Or in your family, or in your neighborhood. And I just want to encourage you to declare these things. It's not your ideas versus theirs. That's not the posture you take. You declare the word of God to them. You stand and you say, this is the way. Jesus is the way. With all the authority of Scripture, I can say and you can say, look to Jesus and you will be saved. There are entire people groups today that do not have that word, that do not have these things. And the reality is that not a single person in the world can find their way without it. But we have it. You ought to thank God we have it. God has been gracious. And we are called to declare it. And may we declare it 
And may we let no one disregard us. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. My reoccurring dream was just that, a dream. I never have to feel like I don't have a message. And neither do you. We have the greatest message in all of the universe to preach and to declare. We have these things to declare. Oh, let's as a church declare them. And I encourage you as a Christian to declare them. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would not stray from this message. That we would not stray from your word. That we would not shrink back from declaring these things with all authority. For the good of others and for the glory of God. Would you work in us such a sense of responsibility, a joyful duty to declare your glory among the nations and among our neighbors. In Jesus' name, amen.